You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, dreamy druids, dragons, dreadlords, dromedaries, and dryads. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 112 or 112. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your oodle of moogles who like to Google and eat kugels, strudels, and noodles. Mm. I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. Uh, no Dana this week. She is, uh, I believe she's in Vermont. That's wow. what she told us, yeah. at least. Mm. Surveying maple syrup. Before we dive in, Karen, uh, it is time for another installment of... Um, uh- actually. Um, actually. What you said just wasn't true. Um, actually, do you mind if I correct you? Because actually, factually, and quite enthusiastically, I was right, and you were wrong. That's exactly what inspired me to write this Um, Actually song. You were wrong. In a segment from last episode, I asked questions about pro sports teams uh, whose names don't end in the letter S. Mm. And I had said there were only two NHL uh, hockey, National Hockey League teams that don't end in S, uh, which was the Minnesota Wild and the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, so I need to offer my deepest heartfelt apologies to the good people of Tampa, Florida. I, I meant no slight to the Tampa Bay Lightning who also have a team that do not end in the letter S. They won the Stanley Cup one year, right? They did indeed. Even if they hadn't, I still should not have slighted them. All right, and more housekeeping announcements. That's a lot of housekeeping. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. So we're deciding to maybe experiment a little. We're going to put our barnyard buzzers... Uh, Out to pasture. On. Well, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Let's say they're on sabbatical. <laughs> they're, okay. on a, they're, they're on a nice farm upstate. <laughs> no! <laughs> they're on vacation, and I have... I got two sets of new buzzers. One set it just has a bunch of weird sound effects. Like, you can hear Chris... You can play here's, yours. here's mine. Morning Zoo talk show host sounds bored. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It's yeah. like morning radio mm-hmm, DJ mm-hmm. show. Mine is. <laughs> <laughs> so late. And I've got the much more direct. Yeah, see, this is like a fighting ring. This is one set, and I also have another set. Those are recordable buzzers so that we can record either voices or music or sounds uh i kind of want to throw it out there to the good job brain listeners um feel free to write in or send us like little sound clips or something that mm-hmm. we can use for our new recordable buzzers i don't know what we're gonna <laughs> be careful what you ask for yeah i don't yeah. know what we're gonna do but if you or even if you have ideas feel free to tell us Let be us like know. oh i want all christopher walken isms right buzzer, right but really no- i mean I, we're looking at like the you know like a one second yeah, yes. sort of a clip. Right. Yeah, I had no idea that home buzzer technology had progressed so I far. Know. Yeah, what a time to be alive! <laughs> but if people can get hashtag bring back the barnyard buzzers trending, <laughs> we we may have to listen. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be our new Coke. Yeah, we're going to have to. <laughs> it might yeah. be. Yep. And it's time for our first general trivia segment, pop quiz, hot shot. And it's uh, you guys. Versus each other. Just us. Colin versus... It's Boing versus Ding. <laughs> that's, our, that's our morning zoo talk show right there. There you go. Boing and Ding. Boing and Ding in the morning. 
plan. <laughs> and of course, I have here Trivial Pursuit card, and you guys have your new buzzers. Oh, I can't even call them barnyard buzzers anymore. Morning mm. radio yeah. buzzers. Here we go. First question. Blue Wedge for geography. What will you see coming out of the hillside if you visit the Chimera near Olympus, Turkey? <laughs> um, I, I'm going to guess steam? Mm, incorrect. <laughs> River of human blood. No, it is flames. Ah. Huh. Note here says the flames caused by natural gas pockets. Gas pockets. Uh, have amazed visitors for millennia. Oh, pretty cool. I can imagine how impressive that would be. Yeah. A, you're like, a oh, thousand that's magic. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, all right. Pink wedge for pop culture. What high waisted pants did <laughs> Tina Fey and Amy Poehler spoof uh, on uh, Saturday uh. Night Live? <laughs> <laughs> Mom, Mom jeans. Yes. Correct. Mom jeans. All right. Yellow wedge. What kind of Gee, another jean question. What what style of jeans descended from naval attire? Colin. Oh, um, bell bottoms? Correct. Mm. Stylish. All right. Note here says, flared lower legs are easy to roll up for deck scrubbing duty. All right. Next question. Purple Wedge. Who wrote the novella, The Body, which the film Stand By Me was yeah. based on? Everybody. Stephen King. King. Yes, Stephen King. I knew it. I knew it for the first half of the question too, which I was kind of. Oh, just called the yeah, body. Too many hints in yeah. that trivial. Person. Was that under a pen name or was that as Stephen King? It was as Stephen King. Okay. I think. Oh, maybe it was Richard, Richard Bachman. Bachman. It mm. might have been. It might have mm. been. No, I think it was uh, Stephen King, and it was a. It was in one of those like collections of stories. Like, oh, uh, okay, right. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Green wedge for science. Which of these might a cryptozoologist study? Bigfoot. Burial practices Maybe. or code breaking. <laughs> Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. Like um mythical animals. Yeah. Like Loch Ness Monster. Right, or, right, or, right. Yeah. Or oh, here Chupacabra. It says, right. Yes. Cryptozoologists study animal whose existence is disputed. Yes. Jackalopes. <laughs> Maybe they're real. <laughs> Last question. Orange wedge. What dominant tennis player habitually tugs at his underwear before he serves? <laughs> Colin. Uh, I, I think that's Rafael Nadal. Correct. Yeah. He says it's a habit uh, he picked up as a kid. There's nothing wrong with his shorts. Oh, I didn't know that. No. So so it's actually more annoying now that I know he could stop if he wanted to. Yeah, it's not right. like his, everything's It's fine. not like his underwear's bothering him. Yep. It's like a nervous yep. tick, I guess. He Good probably job. tries to finish things up in as few sets as possible, because if it keeps going on and on and on and on, he probably gives himself the biggest wedgie, which may or may not be helpful in those crucial final serves. <laughs> Ow. All right. Good job, Brains. Are those new buzzers going? They're pretty good. They feel good. They feel good in my in my hand. Yeah, it's got good buzzer feel. Yeah, it's got a nice, it's got nice, you know, uh, torque. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to apologize. Me and Chris are a little bit, we're, we're kind of tired today. We're, we're tired and my body hurts. Yeah. Our yeah. brains are tired and our right, body right, hurts. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You guys both asked if we could record a little bit later than normal we did, today. We really yeah. did. We're typically kind of early birds and now we're just going to rolled in here. So we spent all day yesterday doing a Shinteki Decathlon. It is a once a year event that's held here in the Bay Area. The best way to describe it is if you have ever seen the movie Midnight Madness. Um, if you haven't seen the movie Midnight Madness, this is a terrible way to describe it. <laughs> but if you've seen the movie, basically it is 
teams of people get into cars and go to a certain location where you solve a puzzle and then the puzzle's answer leads you to the next location that you then have to drive to. Um, and unlike Midnight Madness, which takes place over the span of an evening and stars Michael J. Fox, this takes place in the daytime and does not star Michael J. Fox. <laughs> it, it did, however, star Tyler Hinman, uh, who has done this for many years running, a uh, five-time United States crossword puzzle champion, our good friend, and uh, one-time one Chris substitute on a previous episode of Good Job Brain. And uh, myself, my wife Regina, and Karen were his uh, teammates. Really, the, I, the best of the best puzzle solvers do this. I mean, Tyler really is up there. It's, we it's are like able to help out. Mensa level. It really is. It's, it's hard, hard stuff. You know, it always involves, I've been on two of these with Tyler, it always involves like figuring out that something is coded in binary and then converting the binary codes to letters, you know, I mean, that sort of stuff. And it just ability to recognize it so quickly and ability to execute on it so quickly and figure out, oh, is this good data? Is this bad data? Am I going down the right idea? There's layers so, I mean, and layers. Yeah, right, just having right, you guys right. describe it. I mean, yeah. just that for each one, you've got to figure out what are the rules and then figure out how to solve it. Yep. For my part, I definitely had a few nice insights where I'm like, oh, I get it. I know what this puzzle is. And then we were able to go from there. And every, anytime we can get no, something. Tyler solved if most we of can, them. Tyler solved most <laughs> of it. Yeah. If we can get something before Tyler, we're avoiding spoiling any of the puzzles because it's running again um, this coming weekend. We don't want to spoil it for anybody yeah. who might be doing it. But I got to tell you, it's called Shinteki, S-H-I-N-T-E-K-I. That's the name of the company that puts it on. You know, if you want to do it, I absolutely recommend that you try it. It was a whole lot of fun. Our video game skills also came in handy <laughs> um, without giving too much away. We prepared, we packed the car full of sandwiches, we packed the <laughs> snacks and drinks and everything in the car, so we never had to stop. Adult diapers. But there were times, yeah. just, they would, I wish. <laughs> they would give us a puzzle, yeah. They would give us a puzzle, and it would be like, we don't have anywhere to do this. So we're kind of driving around. At one point, we like we parked on the side of the road and just spilled out of the car. And like we had the puzzle was all these cards, and we just put all the cards on the sidewalk. <laughs> and we're just like, Tyler's sitting half in the car, half out of the car. We're sitting we're in the squatting. street. squatting, yeah. People are walking by us. Also, our team name was uh, Kloofenschmerz Evil Incorporated, <laughs> so we were all dressed in lab coats like Dr. Doofenshmirtz from Phineas and Ferb. Naturally. Of course. And of course, we're all carrying clipboards around, <laughs> so children keep asking us if we're scientists. <laughs> kind which of was, was the point. Which was kind yeah. of the point. Yeah. So you look at them the solemnly, point. yes, um, we are. It was, yeah, oh, of course, yeah. So that really helped us towards today's topic. We're going to talk about culture and facts and stories around code-breaking. O was 12 and Q was 17 I still don't know what those numbers mean That is how we won the war My secret code's no secret anymore Well, I will start us off with Codename Quiz. Ding, 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 ding. Grab bag quiz for you guys here about code names and hidden meanings and hidden codes. And, and hidden names. And I'm just going to say hidden again. And coded meanings. <laughs> yeah, coded <laughs> meanings. There coded you go. Names. Well said. All right. Get your buzzers ready. Oh, now I get to use mine. Oh, yeah. What's oh, yeah, your new what? sound, Karen? <laughs> <laughs> Hong What code name? Did George Lucas and his crew use while filming Return of the Jedi in order to help keep the project secret? 
Oh, <laughs> Chris, emphatically. Blue Harvest. That is correct. Blue Harvest. What? Yeah. Wow. What is that? Alluding to, so it was they, they crafted this a sort of elaborate story. It was it was like a fictitious horror movie. So the idea it was called Blue Harvest, and I guess the tagline was Horror Beyond Imagination. They basically wanted to make it sound as unappealing as possible, so no one would pay any attention to it. They it was it was to keep press off the trail, to yep. keep fans from like invading the shooting sites. Oh, I see. Um, just to kind of keep it on the down low, and just verifying some of the sources on this, I found out. I guess one of the other reasons they did it was to avoid avoid price gouging from like oh, contractors and craft and service like, providers because oh, if they're like oh you're filming the new star wars movie yeah here's our table of fees yeah oh, times two sure. right, right. Yep, yep. which of course is so cynical That's but so right clever. <laughs> but yeah yes blue harvest if you're on a cruise ship and you hear an announcement over the pa of code oscar what does that signify mm, karen Overboard? Yeah. Oh, okay. Code, right. Code Oscar is a person overboard. Uh-huh. And, oh, for Oscar? <laughs> oh, for Oscar, yeah. yeah. And like a well, lot of these kind of codes in a public place, like, you know, you, you want to sort of hide the meaning so people don't go panicking. Right, right. Versions of what popular software were often given city code names while under development, oh. including Chicago, Daytona, Memphis, and Whistler? I think, I think this is Windows. It is. Okay. Oh, it is right. indeed. Yep. The Windows OS. Mm-hmm. Yes, by Microsoft, of course. Oh. Oh, <laughs> Microsoft. Microsoft Windows. In 2010, Italian researchers announced that there are minuscule letters and symbols hidden in the eyes of a person depicted in what famous work of art? Karen. <laughs> Uh, the Mona Lisa. It is indeed the Mona Lisa. Get out of here. Yeah. I did, had the, no idea. Like, right in the eyes. It's like, some some people are like, oh, it's an L, or kind of disputed like, yeah. what exactly yeah. the yeah. symbols are. Man, too too bad Dan Brown didn't hear about that. It, it is. It's the, like real-life Dan code, Brown but, stuff. Yeah, it is. Totally. No, in her, in her right eye uh, are the huh. letters, believed to be the letters LV, which... Mm. Possibly his Louis initials. Vuitton, of course. Oh. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Fifty-five. Can't be sure. He didn't leave a guide. Right. Uh, in her left eye, it, it's either the letters C E. It might be a B. There, you know, it's it is a five hundred year old painting, yeah. and yeah. they are very, very, very tiny letters. You you can't you can only see them under magnification. Oh, okay. There might also be some numbers in the bridge behind her, either the number seventy-two, maybe some letters. But here's the yeah. cool part: like this is total Dan Brown stuff. A member of Italy's national. Committee for Cultural Heritage basically stumbled across like a 50-year-old book in an antique shop describing hidden symbols in the eyes of the Mona Lisa. Oh. And they're like, well, we got to check this out. And yeah. sure enough, they, you know, it's it's unclear how like this knowledge was kind of lost and then rediscovered. Oh, okay. um, but they are there. No one no one knows exactly what they're, what the coded meaning is. Do you think this could just be a coincidence or no? It would be one heck of a coincidence okay. um, to describe. Or not a, no, sorry, not a coincidence, sorry. but like accident of the paintbrush. Yeah. Oh, no. No, like art historians and experts, oh, okay. like they, they've looked at it and said, no, this this, this is intentional. It's not just random mm-hmm. brushstrokes. Yeah. Hmm. Specifically, or as specifically as you can get. Uh, what does a code blue mean at most hospitals? Not just something bad is happening. Mm. Karen. Uh, no power. Interesting. 
uh, code blue, it's it's usually a cardiac arrest oh, okay. uh, or right. respiratory arrest. It's patient in distress, but for this particular reason. Oh, I mm. thought you meant like the venue, ah, like the whole hospital. Got it. There yeah. are a lot of very venue specific codes like yeah. that too. You're right. You're right. If you're if you're in a hospital and you hear paging Doctor Firestone to the third floor. <laughs> That is uh, most likely a code for there's a fire on the third floor. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it's a doctor that you've never heard of. Right, and there's a lot of these sort of these hidden doctors. Right, because they don't want to freak people out. Right, right, right. What if your last name is Firestone? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, I've read that there's... Dr. Poopstain to the fifth floor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no reason, no reason. (laughs) I'm Dr. Poopstain. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Charles Poopstain. Pupstain. Yes. It's pronounced Pupstain. Yeah. Pupstain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will close out here uh, with Time one. Time to poop is, yeah. Uh, yeah. in this episode. It's pretty fast. Pretty good. <laughs> we really need to put these stats up online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll close out here with a video game question. I hear uh, there is some video game knowledge at this table. A little bit. What is the claim to fame of Gradius... A Nintendo video game introduced in 1986. Chris Kohler. <laughs> uh, it is the first video game to feature the legendary Konami code. Yes. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A. Indeed. Start. Yes, start. Or, you know. And I, I knew it was the Contra code, BA. like uh, right, which yes. I guess a lot which of people call it. 30 mans. That's right, the 30 man in Contra, yeah. which we would frequently use. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So what happens in Gradius when you do this? You, it powers up your ship. You pause the game and enter it in, and you un- when you unpause, you will have all of the powers. Oh. And it, of course, it go- has been featured in many, many, many games. video games. And and people put it in as e- an Easter egg in yeah. their websites sometimes. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think like even the up. Google Doodle maybe has used it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Programmer Kazuhisa Hashimoto, uh, who programmed the home version of yeah. Radius, basically said, "Yeah, it's it's a really hard game." And he he said he didn't it he never played it. it he was never played testing. it that much. He's yeah. like, I needed to have a way to jump around in the game and get to the end. Mm-hmm. How did it get out? Uh, people will discover things. <laughs> yeah. That's true. No matter how good you think you've hidden something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well done. And I'll even give you the bonus point for actually knowing the Konami code. Not that I would expect you not to know it. So how many points do I have? One. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the bonus point. Just is the one. one. Just, All the yeah, other Just that zero. one. Yeah. Th- those are for fun. All right. Good job, guys. Nice. So there was a rumor I heard that James Brown, legendary, oh, what is he, Godfather of Soul? Yes. Mm-hmm. He, obviously, when you see a lot of his live performances or, you know, videos of his performances, he's always with a band. He's not only the main entertainer, but he's also really the band leader uh, for his James Brown band. A lot of people are aware that he was kind of uh, notorious for being a very, very strict band leader. If he noticed that someone is slacking off, he will find them, he will yell at them. And that's why there was a lot of uh, clashing with some of the band members. And when you watch James Brown perform, he does a lot of choreography. He's singing. He does a lot of call and response. And the rumor I heard was that parts of his choreography are codes to his band to signal to his band what to do. Hmm. Increase the volume, decrease the volume, or play it faster or bring it down. I tried looking for this. But nothing, nothing I can really hold on to. But what I did find was a lot of these, uh, previous band members would confess that 
parts of his choreography, he would turn his back and maybe he's doing a little jig and he will point uh, to the person saying, see me after class <laughs> during the performance. So that putting people on notice. Yeah. So it's not exactly, you know, his choreography is like a secret code for the music or for instructions for music, but really <clears> it's to <throat> tell you if you're in trouble. It's like, I see what you didn't do there. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, that's really interesting. So this kind of inspired me to look for different codes or meanings in music we've done like kind of hidden meanings we've done back masking um I, i'm more interested in the coding aspect of it so uh we had this at trivia once and the question i believe was something like in morse code what letter is being represented in the first couple notes of beethoven's fifth Symphony. Oh, right, it was right. Dot, 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 dash. Yeah, dot, 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 dash. Right. Not, Right. So, of course, I forget what letter that is. I just know, we, we know that it wasn't S or O, because we knew SOS. <laughs> I think yeah. that was as far as we got. And it's one of the, I mean, three dots and a dash is one of the later letters. I mean, it's one of the more obscure letters. Or not obscure. One of the lesser known One of the lesser, yeah, one of the, yeah. Only specialists know Yeah. No, I mean, one of the lesser used letter, mm. one of the most infrequent letters. It is somehow connected to the fact that it's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Hmm. Is, is it V? It is V. Okay. V5. Da, 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 da. Huh. Well, there and we go. so when the answer was read out, we're like, oh, wow, what a coincidence. Mm. And I'm a dummy. I'm sitting there like, you know, what are the chances of that? Uh, turns out Samuel Morse picked it. Oh, really? For V because of Beethoven's no way. Fifth Symphony. Huh. Yeah. That's so cool. So you can hear it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Samuel oh. Morse established, but, 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 stands for V. He was it's a not fan. a coincidence. He was yeah. a fan. And then he's like, man, what am I going to do for the other 25 letters now? <laughs> he's like, this is going to be a lot harder after V. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Uh, and then one last little coding music tidbit. I did not know this. Johnny Cash worked as a decoder. Oh, the military. I did not know that. That's awesome. In the yeah. Signal Corps or whatever they called it. Or? He joined the Air Force in 1950. He was serving in the United States Air Force Security Service Unit in Germany. And so he spent a lot of his time in the service intercepting Russian Army Morse code transmissions. Huh. He actually said himself, I had such a talent for that particular line of work and such a good left ear that in Landsberg, I was the ace and then he then said i copied the first news of stalin's death wow i don't right right it takes a whole team i don't know if you can say oh it's that one person he copied it it's a good story though it is a good story it is a good story and a lot of johnny cash historians stated that even though he was probably you know really really good at his job it was kind of a grind because he had to sit in place closed indoors couldn't really talk to a lot of people outside of his unit because he, they're working on intelligence stuff. Mm-hmm. He can't really talk about his work with outside people. And I think that might have, uh, you know, turned him off. You know, after a couple of years, he, he left. Mm. But yeah, he was, I guess, you know, instrumental in some of the, the code intercepting stuff. Hmm. Who knew? Giant Cash. So there you go. Some uh, cool music code tidbits for hmm. you guys.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, Colin, if I were to come over to your house and uh, you asked me if I wanted to eat anything and I said, yes, I'll have Adam and Eve on a raft and for lunch, two bloodhounds on an island, <laughs> you would probably call the police. And with, <laughs> and with good reason. It's four in the morning. What are you doing here? Yeah, this would be the least of your worries. <laughs> But then I would explain to the cops that I was simply using diner lingo, yeah. American diner jargon, the diner code, <laughs> the diner, the code. diner, the diner code, yeah, the diner code. And that what I actually, when I said I wanted Adam and Eve on a raft, I actually wanted two poached eggs on toast. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I could have guessed the toast. The toast, yeah. like yeah. as a wrap. Yes. Yeah. Yep, yep. And for and two bloodhounds on an island. Two bloodhounds. Sausages. Oh, it's uh, franks and beans. Ah, okay. Beanies and weenies. So yes, we can all uh, we all know. You know, we've we've all had experiences being in diners and hearing diner lingo. Have you? I haven't. I never have. I don't think it's I. A, I don't think I no. ever have. It's it's like it's something from movies and yeah. Comic no, books it's and... it's it's very much real. But the the experience of going to a Diner, a real diner, isn't really something that we get anymore. Fast food yeah. kind of replaced oh, the the diner experience. Yeah. It yeah. seems like something from a bygone era. Indeed, diners now are kind of throwback things, and there's a lot of reasons why this this diner slang language evolved and emerged, and um, and why you used to hear this. Let's imagine the diner. Uh, it's it's probably a prefabricated restaurant that was sold to someone that looks like the dining car. Right on a, on a train, oh. right? As in the kind the of like diner. dropped into place. Yeah, as if as if it were just sort of dropped right in there into your city. Say it's a small, inexpensive place to go and eat, and there's probably you know a few tables. There's a big long counter, and the counter faces the kitchen, and the waitress is right behind the counter. Right. So it's not like uh, what would have been a traditional sort of restaurant at the time, where the server would take your order and then disappear wherever the kitchen is, which was totally you know hidden from you. And back, then yeah. come back out. No, you, everybody was packed into a small location, right? Everybody's talking, everybody's chatting. And as soon as you give your order to the waitress, she just turns around, mm. maybe doesn't even turn around, <laughs> and yells to the short order cook what she wants him to make. From the book, Classic Diners of Connecticut. Oh, wow. That's really specific. (laughs) So specific. Um, Not just classic diners. By Chris Kohler. Diner lingo was definitely around in the late 1800s. Oh, wow. That's earlier um, than I would have guessed. the 19th century, yeah. I associated it with Greece, you know, like in the 50s, like sock hops. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, it was most, exactly, it was most popular between the 1920s and 1970s, where, you know, diner mania swept America. And this is what this book says, and I quote, Diner lingo was never intended for use in speeding up the order-to-table process. Uh. Rather, it was a spontaneously developed mnemonic means of making orders easier to hear and remember above the conversational din of the busy Mm. diner. So... 
the mnemonic device aspect. Lots of very similar dishes being made in this diner with a small number of ingredients. It's really loud. Everybody's really near each other. And people are, what are people constantly saying in the diner? Oh, I'll have this. Oh, I'll have that. I'll have this. I'll have that. Right, if you're right. the short order cook, I mean, you're literally, you're just take, you're, you're hearing everything that's going on out there, right? How do you know what to make? Well, you only make it if the waitress tells it to you mm. in diner lingo. That's what you're... You're not listening for the word hamburger. Right. Ever. Or eggs or whatever. Or eggs or anything like that. Right. so often. That and makes it, so much sense. Yep. And um, and the diner lingo for similar dishes might be very different. It's like a fried egg that you flip over versus a fried egg that you don't flip over. It's like that's that's flop two over easy versus sunny side up. And yes, those are believed to be to you know diner lingo uh. slang that have now entered into common parlance and then the other thing that the book says is it also provided patrons and employees with a free form of entertainment because they tried to be fun and silly oh, and ridiculous you know with the biblical references and the <laughs> sort of risque things and then also sort of self-deprecating restaurant humor you know a well-done burger is a hockey puck um uh. you know rare is bloody uh garlic is italian perfume or just breath you know <laughs> <laughs> add breath. Um, my favorite is for if you, somebody orders hash, little tiny chopped up pieces of potato and, you know, maybe corned beef mm-hmm. or, you know, th- vegetables that are all in a, in a hash, you know, they will, they will call back, sweep the kitchen oh, <laughs> or no. clean, clean out the sink. <laughs> or my favorite, somebody orders hash and the waitress calls back to the cook, the gentleman will take a chance. Oh, <laughs> that is funny. Um, it's just, it is funny to just order something and have them yell back something that sounds horrible. I mean, as you might imagine, some of these phrases were very kind of common. I mean, there, there was no controlling legal authority here, so they kind of just spread by word of mouth <laughs> around the country. Now, also imagine that these people have been working in this diner for a long time, right? right? So, I mean, if you go to a diner today... It's probably staffed by teenagers, you know, working their first job in high school. Then they're going to leave. You know, it's not like there's people who are working there just forever and ever and ever. So they don't really have time to make up all this funny stuff. Also, technology. I feel like now an itemized receipt and like a system. You don't need all this exactly. There there is no calling it back. Right now, there are probably places in the United States that still use diner lingo, but again, it's more of a of a throwback. If you if you go on the internet and read lists of diner lingo with community contributions, just be aware that like some of that stuff may have been used in the past. Some of it it's it's hard to tell what was used in the past and what somebody just sort of made up, right. you know, recently. So be careful. But here are my favorites that I came across, which I think are I'm pretty sure that that these are real, authentic, yeah, authentic old school. Thanks. And then and then after we do this, now that we've talked a little bit about diner lingo, I will have. A quiz. Oh man! Nice. With with nice. ones that I've picked out that I think are gettable. Okay. Um, but so here's a, just a few more. Um, Jack. Jack is spelled G A C. It is an uh, it's an acronym. Oh. Um, can you figure out what that might be? Very common dish. G A C. Something in greens. Uh, it's, a, it's a grilled American cheese. Oh. Jack. A Jack Benny is a grilled cheese with bacon. Hmm. This is this I really like. Uh, a honeymoon salad is. Lettuce alone. Uh, <laughs> like, Why? just lettuce? Because, like, I'm on my honeymoon. Lettuce alone. Or lettuce, lettuce be. Lettuce, lettuce alone. Lettuce alone <laughs> is the honeymoon salad. Wow. And then also, this kept coming up, and I really, if anybody has any more information, please let me know. A lot of people um, contributed that they called buttered toast a hojack. 
That's H-O-J-A-C-K. Huh. I mean, I could not figure out why this would be the case. Uh, apparently, the word Hojack, like, there's a, there's a certain train line in New York that is has the nickname the hojack line and then there's a lot of folk etymologies for like maybe why did that come along like apparently the phrase hojack might have come from like hello jack as in like hey buddy you know hi mac you know hojack maybe it has to do with the fact that everybody who comes in and gets breakfast gets buttered toast (laughs) so it's right it's it's much of a hojack style it's everybody yeah right but (laughs) hojack for buttered toast huh never heard that one either anyhow now here is your diner lingo Quiz. All right. All right, let's figure this out together. Okay, sure. Okay. All right. Let's work together. Whistleberries. 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 Sounds like a oh, uh, like baked beans? It maybe? is baked beans, <laughs> the musical fruit. <laughs> wow. Um, If I said, give me one Atlanta special, I need the Atlanta special. Atlanta special. Coca-Cola? It is a Coca-Cola. Oh. That's right. Adam's Ale. Adam's? Adam's Ale. That is the biblical Adam. Uh, Ale, A-L-E? A-L-E. Apples? Also also referred to as city juice or dog soup. If I wanted an Adam's Ale or a city juice or a dog soup. Bloody Mary? I was going to say like apple juice, but I don't think so. Just Assuming he didn't have a a bullet to make apple juice with. (laughs) Water? Water. City juice. City juice. Or dog soup. Got it. Uh, And of course, if I asked, (laughs) and if I, and if I said Adam's Ale, hold the hail. Uh, no ice. No ice in that water. Oh, that rhymes. Yes. If I asked for first lady. First lady um, with a side of frog sticks. First lady <laughs> okay, with a side frog of frog sticks. sticks. French fries. That certainly is. That's your, you got your lady, side. Uh, first lady. <laughs> now this. Okay, this does not refer to a president's first lady, but to uh, the first lady oh, in, in some tales. Eve. Yep. Eve with a side of. Uh, it refers, it refers to the ostensible way in which Eve was created. Oh, ribs with yes. a side of fries? ribs with a side of fries. Wow. First lady with frog sticks. <laughs> Burn the British. Some of these are oh, offensive. I've heard that one. That, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's an English muffin, That's right? a toasted English muffin. To- sorry, okay. Burn the British. Toasted English <laughs> muffin. Yep. If I wanted a dry stack. Uh, Pancakes, no butter. Pancakes yeah. with nothing on them. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. This is a beverage. A beverage. Hot blonde with sand. Hot blonde. A hot blonde with sand. Okay, so sand is sugar. Sand is sugar. So a hot blonde with sand. Lemonade? No, hot Hot. blonde. Oh, uh, coffee with cream and sugar? Coffee with cream and sugar. Got it. As opposed to a cup of mud, it lightens it and puts sand into it. Yep. (laughs) Uh, And finally, if I told you to squeeze one. (laughs) <laughs> lemonade orange juice orange juice okay yep yep <laughs> that's interesting yeah, yeah mm-hmm. i always it always i'm like this doesn't save any time where does this slang come yeah. from but you're right it makes so much more sense that it's to stand out oh god yes yeah yep well it's like uh and i'll talk about this a little bit later but it's like the nato alphabet like all the call signs alpha mm-hmm. bravo charlie right you know saying a b and c when you say b it sounds like C. Right. Sounds like D. Right. So it's something just to differentiate. Right. Over a scratchy rate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you guys know what a Boston cooler is? <laughs> is this like your purple this, cow? No. Yeah. 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 It is. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's it's... The, you guys all laugh at your purple so cow. It's a real ca- okay. Thing. So ice cream with ginger ale. Yes. Oh, okay. That's a Boston cooler. <laughs> 
<laughs> and purple cow is of course grape soda and ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> He's all making a yeah. face. No. Ice ice and rice. Ice and rice is uh ice cream on rice pudding. Whoa. Yeah. Do those mix? Yeah. I don't know. Do yeah, the really funny thing that? is so many of these things, it's like, oh, what does this mean? And it's like a dish that you would never eat and nobody ever eats anymore. <laughs> right, it's like, right. oh, okay. Shaken Jesse. Sh- what? Shaken Jesse? Yeah. Oh, that's like the uh, the Guinness uh, milkshake, right? Yeah, it's like Guinness and ice cream. Huh. Usually chocolate ice cream. Shaken Jesse. Usually delicious. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, Colin, I have commissioned you oh. to... Make a quiz all about education and learning. I believe it's graduation season, so you made a graduation quiz in honor of uh, our sponsor, lynda.com. Of course, it is May, and a lot of people are graduating or finishing up their school. You know, it's also almost summer vacation, so you might also have a lot of free time. So why not check out lynda.com and maybe learn some cool skills for your hobby or for your job that's coming up? <laughs> so sock it to us, Colin. All right. I've got a graduation day quiz here for you guys. All right. And I do need to give a little bit of credit where it's due. Uh, I have heavily cribbed some of these questions from a quiz that my wife put together for a graduation party. Cute. It's always cute when someone mm-hmm. does my work for me. You're ma- <laughs> no, you guys are married, so it's half yours. Yeah. <laughs> in, the state, in the state yeah. of California. Yeah. Community, community quiz property. Mm-hmm. So here we go. After students become graduates, they will often refer to their school as mm. their alma mater. Indeed. So please tell me, what does alma mater mean in Latin? <laughs> every, every it means boy, oy, 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 oy. I, th- I think it means my dear mother. It's in Is, that family, yeah, yeah, yeah. N- nourishing but mother, nourishing mother, k- kind mother. Yeah, okay. right, okay. right. What a weird thing to call an institution. Like I understand mm-hmm. conceptually, but <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it nourishes you. The, your... I get the metaphor. It's a little creepy. Yeah, it is. It's a little Norman Batesy. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. We'll stick with the really traditional stuff here. What is the name of the traditional square cap often worn by students at graduation? I didn't know it had hmm. a name. You're it's not the, looking oh, for geez. graduation cap. I'm not looking for graduation cap. Right. It has a very specific traditional name, the little tassely thing on yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, it's not the little tassely hat? Yeah, I will not accept little tassely hat. Dang. Um, it's know. named after a tool used by oh, man. bricklayers. I used to know this. If this prompts any, Chris? Trowel? Uh, it is called a mortar board. Mortar board. That's right. Okay. Yes. Why? So named after uh, the little square, kind of like a pallet that bricklayers would use to hold the mortar on okay. while they're applying. Not like yeah. yep. once someone ran out of hats. <laughs> Carry and- bricks on their head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and his name was Bob Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> the first PhD was awarded in 1150 in what European city? Oh. <laughs> uh, Karen. I say Italy? Oh, city. Oh, city. Rome. Nope, not Rome. It was Chris? Paris. It was Paris. Oh, there Paris, were only, France. Yeah, there were only are a couple of cities at that time. Way back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An honorary doctorate of amphibious letters was awarded to whom? 
by Southampton College in 1996. Amphibious Letters. An honorary. Honorary. Doctorate oh. of Amphibious Letters. Chris. Kermit the Frog? It was Kermit the oh. Frog. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Did he have to show up and accept it? Oh, yeah. I think oh, you got to okay. show up and, uh, you know, give the address. And, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> That's cute. So as we sit here recording, we are just mere blocks from the campus of University of California, Berkeley. You can actually see the bell tower from the front of my house. So I have a question here for you about a fictional UC Berkeley alum. Fictional? Yes. Mm -hmm. What fictional alumnus of UC Berkeley holds a master's degree in criminology and law on a hit television show? (laughs) This is a... Chris, huh? This is a character uh, perhaps this, seen this, more often. Oh, go ahead. Is it Olivia Benson? It's not Olivia Benson. This Elliot is a character Sidley. you see uh, shooting people more than you see this person in a classroom. Chris. Is it Jack Bauer? It is Agent Jack Bauer. What? I, this blew my mind. Yes, Karen, we are I, fellow uh, alums with Agent Jack Bauer. Wow. What did he, uh, quote, study? It was supposedly a, a master's in, in criminology and law. Uh, th- there is actually no such degree awarded uh, from Berkeley in that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my, my most famous fictional alum is, uh, in fact, Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld, oh, who, who famously said, "Yes, yeah, said no." Just during one episode, it was just this tossed-off joke of she was like, "You want to talk about hardship? I went to Tufts. <laughs> it was my safety school." Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's it. But you have a uh, uh, PT Barnum. Yeah, right. You have PT Barnum. Well, he's real, Karen. <laughs> no, no, he's a real person. <laughs> All right, last question. The first woman to earn a PhD in computer science was A, a math teacher, B, a nun, or C, a telephone switchboard operator. Chris. A nun. She was indeed a nun. Sister Mary Kenneth Keller, born in Ohio in 1914, was the first woman to earn a PhD in computer science in 1965. Wow! From University of Wisconsin at Madison. Hmm. Yes, not only the first woman, also the first American to earn a PhD in computer science. So she was generally you an all-around badass, yes. Mm-hmm. That is awesome! Yep. Well, All good right. quiz. Yeah. Right. Thank so, you. So, for those of you who uh, have graduated this past week... Uh, congratulations! Congratulations! <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles. Smart trivia. Good Job Brain. 
So, of course, we get this in trivia a lot. The NATO alphabet. Yes. Or call yeah. signs. Lots of different names um, because there are a lot of different groups, government groups, uh, mm-hmm. utilize this set of alphabet call yep. signs. Yep. Yeah. And like I said earlier, a lot of the reasons why when they're talking about letters over a crappy radio, when you say M, do you mean N? Even like sometimes when I'm on the phone, credit card companies are... And they're just like, okay, so let me read that back to you. It's Charlie, Bravo, Delta. It's like they will use those <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's like, yeah. it really does work. It, it helps differentiate the letters you're talking about. You know, this is this comes up very frequently in trivia. It like does. we have to name what is the NATO alphabet for G. Right. Because like a, a lot of people, mm-hmm. I don't know, I was going to say everybody, but a lot of people know like Alpha, Alpha Bravo. Bravo, Charlie. Maybe you know Delta. Echo, like, Fox it starts, Trot. Yeah, it starts to get a little bit hazy Whiskey, there. Tango, Whiskey, Tango, Fox sure. Trot. So what was interesting to me is like, well, how did they determine what words to use? Is it just like some some dude in a room be like, well, I'm going to come up with 26 of them. Um, <laughs> they're English words, but they're used internationally. Mm-hmm. And so they have to account for uh, different pronunciations or comprehension. So the final choice of the code words uh, of the, the letters of the alphabet were made after thousands of comprehension tests uh. Uh, from 31 different countries. And this is to try to see which words are good for which letters. Right. And it's it blows my mind that for Z, the last letter, I always thought, oh, zebra, because that's such a common term. Everybody Zulu, knows zebra. Isn't it's it? Zulu. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, why do they choose Zulu instead of zebra? It's easier to hear Zulu mm. than it is to hear zebra. Mm-hmm. If you wrote the alphabet, it would all just be animals. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Aardvark. From Aardvark yeah. to zebra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beaver. Mm-hmm. And so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Camel. <laughs> yeah. Dogs. <laughs> Elephant. Oh, X would be hard. Yeah. Xenomorph. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's animal. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good enough. So we're probably more familiar with the alphabet. Did you guys know there are special code words for the digits? Sure. Like, oh. like Niner. That's where Niner comes from, isn't it? Okay. So Niner is FAA, which oh. is American. Oh. There is a set of digits or words for digits that is from the Air National Telecommunication Union. Oh. FAA is American. Okay. So this is worldwide mm. and also used by uh, the IMO, which is the Air National Maritime Organization. And there's a whole set of words for numbers. Lay it on us. Which is which is weird to think about it that way. Like, so a lot of these numbers add more sounds to it, mm-hmm. so it sounds more unique. Also, it sounds more cosmopolitan in a way. So, for example, <laughs> zero is nada zero. Ah. Hmm. Not a zero. Nada, like in Spanish, like yeah, N-A-D-A. N-A-D-A. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And one is una one. Mm. Huh. So it's kind of almost Esperanto-ish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like a mix of a bunch of languages. Yeah. Two is... Biso 2, ah. Terra 3, Carte 4, Panta 5, Ooh. Pentagram, hmm. Pant 5, Panta. Hmm. Soxy 6, Sete 7, Octo 8, mm. and then 9 is a Nova 9. Ah, so it kind of reinforces the root of the word. It does. Uh, it's a combination of kind of Latin and Germanic. And another tidbit, do you guys know why Mayday, when like a plane is going down, they say Mayday, yes. Mayday? Yeah. Yeah. Know, help, help me in help French. Help me in French. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 Instead of, and, and they adopted that because help is such a short word and oh. it's, it's hard to hear. So they adopted mm. Mayday <clears throat> help me from French mm-hmm. and just yeah. distinctive. It, and, and it really doesn't matter what it means as long as people know what you mean when you, when you're saying. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. 
So I, I love all stories around cryptography. That's why, like, when you were telling me all the stories about your puzzling adventures yesterday, I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. I just, <laughs> do, you, do you like hearing the stories and reading about it, or do you like to do it? You know, I like reading about it, I think, more than actually doing it. It's just a good little detective story. It's how do you go about mm. getting to this information? That's what's interesting to me. Cryptography is really, really, really old. I mean, ancient times have been going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you can imagine, like, as long as we've had important messages, you want to have a way of hiding them from people, uh, especially if you're a government or a military leader. One of the most simple ways of putting text into a, a cipher mm-hmm. is called a Caesar shift cipher, because mm-hmm. Julius Caesar uh, was known to use this a lot. Oh, um, and it's really kind of the most basic way of encoding information. You mm-hmm. kind of just shift your letters forward. So yeah. A would become D, B would become E, and so on and so forth. And that's fine if you want to do simple encoding, but, you know, if you know how many spaces the letters are being shifted, you can figure it out. So then people, you know, you can make it more complex by, yep. instead of doing a shift, you jumble it. So mm-hmm. an A might be an X, a B might be an L. There's yep. no pattern to it. I and, mean, then you, and you figure that out by looking at the frequency of letters yep. in the alphabet. So, I mean, the letter that appears the most, well, it's probably E. Um, there's a saying I came across uh, which said that in some ways, weak encryption is worse than no encryption. And the reasoning is that if you've got weak encryption and someone breaks it and you don't know that it's broken, you're going to go and continue using it and they're mm-hmm. reading your messages, right. which in oh, some I ways see. you're not going to be as careful as if it wasn't encrypted at all. Right. If there was no encryption, you'd be more circumspect in what you said. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, code breaking got more and more and more elaborate as code writing got more and more elaborate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the years after World War One, in particular, there were a lot of uh, advancements in mechanizing cryptography. One of my favorite, you know, real life stories is the story of the Enigma machine. You guys may have heard about this. This is the the encryption and decryption device that the Germans very famously used in the run-up and during World War II, and that the British were racing to sort of figure out how it worked. In particular, I got a lot of my information from a book called The Code Book by author (laughs) Simon Singh. High concept. Karen's laughing, uh, but yes, it's uh, It's a book about code. A really good good read about code breaking and code making, and the Enigma in particular. And the thing with the Enigma is that it was it was really good, really advanced machine for encrypting. At its most simplest way of putting it, just think about it as it was doing a lot of shifting and a lot of substitution of keys for the original text. So you may not use the same key twice. You may not need, and you know, which makes it really hard to decipher Almost the text, like random, yeah. right? Unless you have two machines that are coded to the same key. It was invented by a German named Arthur Scherbius, and uh, as you guys may remember from history class, the Germans. Uh, didn't do too well in World War One, And, you know, as it turns out, one of the reasons that they didn't do so well has to do with issues with their encryption and decryption. So Sherbius invented uh, the first Enigma in 1918. And he really had hopes to sell it to corporations, to business, you know, hydro company secrets from yeah. other companies, yeah. um, as well as to the government. You know, it seemed to him like a no-brainer, like, oh, well, obviously people are going to want this device. The problem was it was really expensive. I oh, mean, it was, yeah. it was, a, you know, it should be. It, yeah, it should be. Yeah. Today's prices, it was up to, you know, 30 grand for a single machine. And if you were a large corporation or you'd need to deploy multiple of oh, them. Oh, I see. I see. So companies kind of balked at it, but then he's like, all right, surely the government and the military will be interested in this. You know, we're, you know, we just came out of a war that we didn't do too well in. We have a lot of enemies maybe in the world. So he went to the government and they weren't interested. The German military was like, nah, we don't, we don't have a need for this. They largely had an attitude of like, oh, you know, our encryption is fine. What they didn't realize is that they were being broken. 
So remember, as I said, you know, sometimes weak encryption is worse than no encryption. But yeah. what's even worse than weak encryption is broken encryption that you don't know is broken. Mm. And it turns out that the Germans had actually fallen to at least two massively damaging incidents during World War One that they didn't find out about for years and years afterward. They didn't realize it happened uh, until Winston Churchill published The World Crisis in 1923, where he basically talked about breaking a lot of the codes. And he revealed a story where in 1914, a German ship wrecked in the Baltic, and they recovered the body of a drowned German officer. The Russians recovered this, uh, and he had code books on him. Oh! And the Russians immediately are like, well, this is really valuable. Uh, So they contacted the British and said, hey, you know, we think you guys might be really interested in basically a list of the codes that that, that the Germans are using to encrypt their messages. So this was 1914. The Germans didn't find out until 1923. Wow! That the British had broken this code this years time. and years prior. We've right. Been reading everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So, in no short order, they freaked out. Yeah. And <laughs> by 1925, Mr. Sherbius was mass producing enigmas for the German government. The machine that he was pitching. The them. machine that was pitching. They realized, oh my God, we've been, we've, we've, Idiots, we've yeah. been too confident this whole time. We need to really step up our encryption game. So over the next 20 years, uh, into World War II, the Germans bought more than 30,000 Enigma machines and the machine got more and more advanced over the years. And so moving into World War II, the British very famously, uh, in the offices they had set up at Bletchley Park were, were working really to crack the Enigma. Uh, some of the earliest work in computer science was directly, of a, re- course. directly of course. a result of trying to break the Enigma code. Huh. Eventually, they were able to piece together partly through sloppy key reusal. Mm-hmm. And they were able to take advantage, basically, of a little bit of sloppy reuse of keys and just raw genius computing power, the likes of Alan Turing and many, many other smart people uh, really working on this problem. And they were able to crack the Enigma code. It looks like a fairly innocuous little device. It kind of looks, it looks a little bit like a, like a steampunk typewriter, maybe. I was thinking of a toaster. Yeah. Codes come out from the toast slots. It yeah. was, you, you would enter using keys like on a typewriter and it would encode oh, the text. Basically, there's a series of wheels and gears as you typed it. Mm. Oh, in real time. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I thought it's, you slip a paper and it poops it out. Right. I don't know. Like technical terms here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. And that is our code episode. I was thinking of like maybe embedding a code in this episode, but I don't... But, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you take the second letter of every word every time you hear this sound... <laughs> oh. It spells out poop. <laughs> <laughs> Convert it into numbers yeah. and then into flag codes. Right. So there you go. Thank you for joining me and thank you guys listeners for listening in. Hope you learned a lot of stuff about the Enigma code, uh, mm. Diner Lingo, and the NATO alphabet and more. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on our website, Good Job Brain. And thanks to our sponsor, lynda.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. 
So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.